This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. All right, welcome to an episode of Farm So Hard. And we have a very exciting topic for you guys today. Monkey pox, not chicken pox, monkey pox. All right. We have Theora again, bringing it back. Hello. Uh, last time we did our rendezvous, we were talking about COVID and Temra and Bersitinib and all that stuff. But now it's monkey pox. We just keep throwing new stuff at her. Um, yeah. So Theora, tell us what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, I'm back for the next big wave of new stuff in ID you may have never heard of before. And uh, in summary, it's it's new, but it's not. But the new situation is in May of this year, 2022, the World Health Organization reported a rapidly spreading outbreak of monkeypox infections outside of Africa into non-endemic countries. And the first reported case in the United States during that time was May 18, 2022. And now, at the time of this recording, nearly all states in the United States have reported at least one case with the highest number of cases in New York, California, Florida, Texas, and Georgia. So like very densely populated areas. And so now we in America have monkeypox. And what is monkeypox exactly? Great question. So it's a pretty rare disease, like on the grand scheme of things. Uh, It's a zoonotic illness, so it does come from non-humans. It's caused by the monkeypox virus, which is a type of orthopox virus related to, like, smallpox. It's kind of like its cousin virus you may be more familiar with. Weirdly enough, it is not related to chickenpox. So (laughs) just because it has an animal in the name doesn't mean it's related. (laughs) Yeah, what's interesting about it is, uh, aside from its not so clever name is it's endemic to the West and Central Africa areas. So not to America. It was first identified in 1955 in non-human primates, hence the name monkeypox, because scientists are not usually super clever. Weirdly enough, even, even though it's called monkeypox, we actually don't know what like the host species is. Like where does this normally live monkeypox in terms of animals? But multiple types of animals can harbor this disease, including like rodents, which is the most common way it's spread like from humans. So we usually get it from rodents and not monkeys. Blame scientists for the name. Oh, so the monkeys and rodents got jealous of the bats. Yes. Yeah, they're like. They just had to step it up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, listen, bats, you have all the pandemics. Let us have this one. So rodents part two. So you said the 1950s like why are we seeing this outbreak now yeah good question so it's a combination of a bunch of things just happening globally which is why we're seeing like humans come into contact with bats and infected rodents and basically we're deforesting a lot of areas where natural reservoirs live there's an increase in human population growth and causing encroachment on just animal habitats Humans are moving globally, and there's this big enhanced global connectedness just with how the world works now. So all of this creates this, like, perfect storm of, like, an unlucky human coming into contact with an infected animal, and the virus is like, hey, new host, let's cause an infection. So 
monkeypox overall, it's not this new disease. It's just one of those neglected diseases that's been around for a while. And it's just if you didn't live in the area and you weren't like studying it, you never heard of it before. So there you have it. And first human case we saw was in 1970 after discovering it in a nine month old in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And weirdly enough, around the time we saw it um, in humans for the first time, that was when we declared smallpox eradicated. So we stopped vaccinating as many people um, against smallpox. And so it provides some immunity. So we're thinking that may have helped this spread from human to human around that time. And in the United States, interestingly, this isn't our first time dealing with monkeypox. There was actually a small outbreak in 2003. There was like 50 cases, so like much smaller than what we're seeing now. And we thought it was because of rodents because they traced it back to like prairie dogs people were keeping as illegal pets at the time. (laughs) And so, yeah. (laughs) So please don't have prairie dogs as pets. This could be bad. (laughs) So... So what are the symptoms of monkeypox infection? So monkeypox, typically you get like this prodrome. It's almost like these flu-like symptoms, which never helps because they're nonspecific things like I feel off today. Um, Monkeypox can also like cause swelling of lymph nodes with something for a physician to detect. And it usually begins like a week to three weeks after the initial infection. So contact with infected prairie dog pet. The flu-like symptoms is not the only symptoms. That's just kind of what people notice first. And then quickly people start to get this rash, which is the more visible thing that we see and notice. And the rash can evolve into like lesions. And I know it's not great, which um, can break open. And then that's how we pass it on. And the number of lesions people can get kind of ranges from like 10 small amount to like 150 which can be pretty horrible for patients. Sometimes they're painful. And the the skin lesion slash rash stage can last for like two weeks to four weeks. So it can be around for a pretty significant period of time. And what's interesting about the rash is kind of, it starts from this like central to outward pattern. So like patients will normally notice them in like their mouth or like rectal area. And then it kind of spreads outward to like limbs. So you can start with like oral lesions and then eventually get them on like your hands, like palms and soles, which is pretty atypical for a lot of different viruses. So that's a kind of a characteristic pattern. If you start seeing that, it's like, oh, this is something atypical and monkeypox can present that way. Um, for patients, like the lesions can be really painful sometimes. I know anecdotally we've had, not my, my hospital, but our sister hospitals have had patients with like really painful lesions or pain control was a problem for them, but that's not always the case. So painful lesions don't always mean monkeypox. Um, and sometimes they can be itchy, but not always. And you can imagine that's advantageous to the virus. You scratch and then it spreads. So I'm, I am a little confused just overall how it's being transmitted. So how can one contract monkeypox? Yeah, unfortunately, scientists are not great at communicating and that has led to a lot of misinformation about what kind of disease even is this. And so the main mechanism by the way this virus is transmitted from person to person is through prolonged contact with infected body fluids. So like those skin lesions, for example, too, contain kind of like virus particles and like fluid. 
Another atypical way is through respiratory droplets. So unlike COVID, which is kind of like airborne, this you have to be like in close contact with that person. Also, not like COVID, you can act, it's a fomite disease. So it can live on just surfaces like desks or computers or whatever. Bedding is pretty common with lesions. So there's multiple ways, but the key is like prolonged contact with like the infected bodily fluid or something that was touching bodily fluids like bedding, for example. So big misconception is that this isn't a sexually transmitted infection. The, the reason it's being framed that way or there's an association with it is because sexual encounters require prolonged skin-to-skin -skin contact, which facilitates transmission through lesions. So that's kind of why there's like this association between the two. So it's like it can be a risk factor if you're sexually intimate with somebody who has monkeypox. So that's kind of where that's coming from. Um, particularly in this outbreak, we keep hearing a lot that like the MSM population, so men who have sex with men, is like a big risk factor and it, it's because this outbreak kind of started in with a member in that community and like it's a close-knit community and sexual contact so it kind of spreads within communities where you're close to each other so that's where that's kind of coming from okay so it's pretty infectious so how concerned should we be about the mortality and morbidity yeah a great question because monkeypox is similar to smallpox and we've heard terrible things about smallpox but good news is that monkeypox isn't super fatal. So like the case fatality rates are like from one to 10%. And it's likely lower from what we understand if patients are given earlier supportive care to like isolate and contain the lesions and stop them from spreading and getting worse. So most cases of monkeypox are very mild to moderate. And, and ultimately it's self-limiting in a lot of cases. You just kind of have this rash and it goes away if you just you know, take care of the lesions. But Unfortunately, patients can experience like a severe illness that requires them to be hospitalized. Things can occur like encephalopathy, hemorrhagic disease, uh, confluent lesions, which can lead to like sepsis. So it can be severe, but the majority of cases are not. And, and, and sometimes patients are just, there's populations that are more at risk for that severe infection, like immunocompromised patients who are like at risk of severe presentations of most infections. Um, children as well. Uh, particularly if they're less than eight years old, patients who have history of like skin ailments, like atopic dermatitis or like active like skin conditions at the time. And like it can lead to things like secondary bacterial infections, kind of et cetera, that also lead to severity of illness. Okay. So now that we have a little bit of the pathophys and the signs and symptoms, you know, are there any vaccines that can protect us from this? Yes. So the good news is we do have vaccines um, that help in this situation. And at this time, there's nothing that's like specifically designed for monkeypox, but we have two that are effective in like a pre-exposure, post-exposure situation that were originally developed for smallpox. So smallpox and monkeypox are like cousins, basically. So we do have vaccines in our arsenal. Uh, we have the two. One is the Genios vaccine. It's a live attenuated virus so it's a weakened virus that's not capable of replicating and there's another one called the ACAM2000 again clever scientists and their names this one's a live basically a live smallpox virus so and you inoculate it under the skin it's very very old school 
we are not using this at all. We don't have access to this. So we're getting like the weak non-replicating version. That's the one we have available to us in the United States. And so question is, how efficacious are they against monkeypox? As you can imagine, there's not a lot of like data right now for monkeypox because like it was like in a small population. Now it's kind of like everywhere. So we're studying this as we go along, which is like the theme of all these topics I come and talk to you about. But um, where we have efficacy data against um, monkeypox for the Genios vaccine is looking at essentially military facilities, U.S. military facilities, because the soldiers get vaccinated against all kinds of things. And these vets were in South Korea. There was a little over 300 of them. Healthy guys, median age was 24. So that's something to take into account. They had good immune systems. And essentially, they found like the Genios was not inferior to the live monkeypox, uh, live smallpox vaccine, that one with the acronym, during this out, during an outbreak. So, not this particular one. So, we know it's comparable to the smallpox vaccine. That's basically what we know. Unfortunately, we don't have any data right now about this current outbreak and how effective it is against this monkeypox strain, if there are multiple strains unknown at this time. So, that's kind of the data that we're going with. Um, We're using the Genios because it's not a live vaccine. So as pharmacists, you know that there's always issues with live vaccines when you give them who you give them to. Um, And overall, there's usually a lot more adverse effects with like a live vaccine. So we're going with a more tolerable version that is not inferior. And so this one, Genios, it's a two-dose series given at least 28 days apart. You can give it to patients like whoever just to prevent it. Uh, more commonly, we're giving it as like a post-exposure or like a pre-exposure in high-risk groups. So that's our main drug in our arsenal right now. And then, uh, you know, I heard that there was a vaccine supply shortage. So are there any strategies for vaccinating patients with the limited supply? Yeah. So one of the big issues right now is just drug supply. So it's like COVID all over again, right? We have this new virus. We we have therapies we think will work, but like there aren't enough to go around. And part of the problem is like, again, we used to vaccinate for smallpox and we stopped like in like the seventies. And so the reason why we have data in vets from our active military rather personnel is because the U.S. government created this strategic national stockpile of certain medications. This was like a post-September 11 kind of initiative to um, protect us citizens, military personnel in the event of like bioterrorism, basically. And so smallpox is one of them. So they were stockpiling these vaccines to use in emergency situations for like small populations. And so that's why like we have a supply of the Genios vaccine. But now we have a national like it's everywhere this kind of outbreak. And it's not exactly a drug that like manufacturers make in abundance. It was basically just for the stockpile. So we have this issue where we like need the the supply is much lower than the demand. And like the manufacturer has to like ramp up supply of a vaccine, which takes a while. So that's kind of the conundrum we're in. And so the United States government in June essentially announced this national monkeypox vaccine strategy to kind of expand testing, which is also an issue. If you remember, if you have COVID trauma, that was an issue is testing. Same thing with monkeypox. And the other part of that was just making the vaccines more available. And so basically they are using their leverage to like get the supplier to make more vaccine, which is great. And kind of looking into how do we stretch the supply we have now, right now. Um, 
So it's not a drug that's available from the manufacturer. It's basically we're getting it through the government. So it gets funneled through like public health departments, which is atypical from a pharmacy perspective. Um, and so your local public health department might have their own criteria for kind of like how to equitably distribute this drug, like who qualifies based on like risk stratification, things like that. And it all kind of comes down to like supply versus demand kind of thing and who you, who you can serve in your population. And so one of the methods we've uh, that came up recently was that dreaded acronym EUAs, so emergency use authorization. <laughs> so there was one for the Genius vaccine, not the drug, but to expand the supply. And basically um, the Genius vaccine comes in like a single use vial. Essentially there's like five, or not five, I wish, 0.5 mLs essentially per vial. And the way this drug is supposed to be administered is subcutaneously, uh, um, yeah, subcutaneously, like the whole vial, 0.5 milliliter dose. So what they found through EUA magic data was basically like, okay, you can give one fifth of that subdermally and it, produces a good um, immune response. And that way you can get five doses for one vial. So very helpful when you're having a drug shortage. So this is like a similar administration route to like getting a, a PPD, like for tuberculosis, it's that but it makes the bubble under the skin. Uh, it sounds great. So we're increasing our supply by five times. But the issue with that is like, it's a very uncommon route of administration. Like most vaccines are, are not given like a PPD, right? So one issue we came up with my hospital was that like, well, not all nurses know how to administer this. Not all are like licensed under their scope for this kind of administration. So it, it involved like big education campaigns. So that could be like an operational issue to doing this. Um, you have to see that bubble under the skin per like, this administration route. So there's like, well, what if we don't see the bubble right away? What do we do? And it's not like addressed anywhere. Do you like redose them or is that double dose? So there's like unknowns basically. Um, and as you can imagine, if you're putting like a vaccine under your skin, that's meant to cause an immune response, you're going to see more like skin reactions because like your body is reacting to it. So tolerability could be an issue with patients. Um, at this time, there is an exclusion to who can get it. If you have like um, past medical history of like keloids, which are like types of like scarring that can happen on the skin, those patients shouldn't get this because that would be bad. Um, <laughs> and also um, pediatric patients. So this EUA is not authorized for like anybody less than 18 years old. So that subcutaneous route that it's originally intended for is reserved for like adults with keloid scarring and pediatric patients basically. Yeah. So since you mentioned things to avoid, are there any other contraindications or precautions to the Genios vaccine? Thankfully, there aren't many, but there are a couple of things to kind of be aware of with this drug. And so big thing is, well, what's a contraindication with any drug if they've had a severe allergic reaction to this drug? So that's number one. So that could, you know, it's a two dose series. So that is something to be aware of. If they couldn't tolerate it, they cannot get a repeat dose, basically. But the product itself is produced through chicken embryo fibroblast cells. So if patients have an allergic reaction, like a very severe anaphylactic reaction to chicken or egg proteins, um, it's not a contraindication. It doesn't mean they can't get the vaccine. It means you kind of have to monitor them for a little bit more, like with any vaccine. So they get like a 30-minute watch after the vaccine period, for example. 
similarly, the drug is also manufactured with ciprofloxacin and gentamicin. So if patients have severe reactions to either of those drugs, again, not a contraindication, but just monitor them for an allergic reaction for a little bit longer after they get it. And the other question commonly get with uh, vaccines is, uh, can genios be co-administered with other vaccines? Yeah, so great question. This comes up always, especially as we're moving into flu season and there's new COVID boosters happening. So uh, currently there's no like data, of course, about administering the Genius vaccine at the same time as other vaccines, because again, we weren't commonly using this to vaccinate. But because it's a live attenuated, non-replicating kind of virus, typically those kinds of viruses can be given like without regard to timing with other vaccines. So this includes simultaneous administration with like your flu shot, for example. But the manufacturer and like the EUA does like note, um, and the CDC as well, like uh, something to consider with COVID vaccines um, is your adult male population. Um, so there's a consideration in there of waiting at least four weeks after getting the Genios vaccine to give a COVID vaccine. And it's because there's that observed risk of the myocarditis or the pericarditis that was actually seen in young males with the live smallpox vaccine. So we saw that with the COVID vaccines as well. So it's, it's theoretical, it's not proven with Genios, but just be cautious with those patients and maybe separate those two vaccines by like at least four weeks, which might be tricky as we're rolling out a new COVID booster. But that is a population to be aware of. Um, so another population to, it's not really an exclusion, but to kind of be aware of. So if you have a patient who you've offered the vaccine, like you've scheduled them and they come in and now they, it looks like they have active monkeypox, like, um, you know, that's not really a patient population we vaccinate. We want to treat them instead <laughs> because they're actively having the disease. Um, so that's another population. But overall, most vaccines, you can get it together. Just adult males with the COVID vaccine, you might want to separate. All right. And if someone was immunized with the smallpox vaccine, are they protected against monkeypox? So that is also kind of a, a very good question and is something that's commonly coming up as we're like dealing with this equity situation with like low supply of the monkeypox vaccines. So the good news is because monkeypox and smallpox are cousins, again, they're both in that orthopox, orthopox virus family, there is a degree of immunology, like the cross-reactivity between those two things. So patients will have some cross protection from monkeypox if they were previously vaccinated with smallpox. What we know is that it causes like, um, we saw that patients that were vaccinated from with smallpox vaccine like three to 13 years prior, or three to 19 years, I apologize, prior, have like 85% protection. So that's pretty good um, in terms of like cross protection. And we saw from the that 2003 outbreak we saw in the United States that roughly 20% of patients in that um, cohort did receive the smallpox vaccine vaccination like 25 years prior, and there were no fatalities in that outbreak. So again, limited data, but it does provide some amount of protection. All right, all right. And to be honest with you, it's a lot of information on vaccines. But you did talk about if someone has an active infection. So how are we going to treat these patients? Yeah, great question. 
So first and foremost, it's supportive care, um, giving patients fluids and then pain management. If they're having very painful lesions, that can be pretty unbearable for patients. So that's a big one. Um, uh, unfortunately, because again, this was a neglected disease for so long, there are no like FDA approved treatments. There's not a lot of research in this particular disease, but there are therapies that we have from that national strategic stockpile, which have expanded access protocols right now for like active research into monkeypox while this is happening. So like they're called EAINDs, which is another term for like compassionate use drugs. So thing to take into account is that this falls under like research. So I just went through this at my facility. There's a lot of administrative paperwork involved, IRB approvals, et cetera, which can be a barrier to treatment until you like sort all this stuff out and make a protocol and get all your doctors on board. So something to kind of be aware of. Other caveat to these treatments I will go over is that it's a lot of it's in vitro data. It's like early COVID again. We Animal studies is very few of what we know about the pharmacokinetics in and pharmacodynamics in humans. So take this with a grain of salt. Um, the big number one drug that's kind of being used the most is called, uh, brand name is Tpox or Tecavorimat's the generic name. It's FDA approved for treatment of smallpox. So that's already a good sign. Um, there's an IV formulation and an oral formulation. It's dosed based on weight. And duration of therapy is about 14 days, typically up to 90, depending on like their clinical progression. That's like the longest recorded human case. Basically, it's a very severe like infection during like one of the earlier outbreaks. So most patients probably fall into your 14 range, but like it's been studied in humans in like a case report up to 90 days, basically. So it just depends on how they progress. Overall, Tecavormat, it's very well tolerated. Like common effects are like headache, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting. So pretty well tolerated. There's not much to look out for in terms of monitoring. So it's a very good option. And that's like the big treatment option we're using kind of where I'm at. Uh, the other options I'm going to go over are kind of like less commonly used and like you'll see why. But the other one it, um, that was used in smallpox is basically, um, it's called VIGIV, which is like varicina, which is smallpox immunoglobulin. So it's passive immunity against smallpox is basically what it is. And this was also FDA approved for treatment of smallpox. It's usually not a monotherapy, like tecavorumat, you can give monotherapy, but th this drug is usually, it's like, it's IV and you usually give it with antivirals. So this would be like your hospitalized patients that's very severe presenting, maybe isn't improving on their tecavorumat or their immunocompromise where you wanna like give them immunity. And so it's usually a single dose, it's weight-based as well, kind of one and done. There's really no adverse effects with this. You're just giving antibodies to somebody. So that's another option. And then there's the um, essentially the CMV drugs with in vitro data against orthopox viruses. So there's cidofovir and brincidofovir. So if you have patients with CMV, you may be familiar with cidofovir. Um, Essentially, it's uh, not well tolerated, which is like one of the downfalls here. Um, like nephrotoxicity is a big one, neutropenia. And um, with cidofovir, it's IV only. So this wouldn't be like an outpatient treatment. But 
the advantage is sometimes like if you this drug you could have it on hand at your hospital for example versus like tecovorumab involves like IRB paperwork and all this kind of stuff so advantages you could start somebody on this while you like pursue the drugs you don't have so that's like where it might fall on therapy um and then the brin cytofavir is essentially like um an oral formulation of cytofavir it's like a pro drug and uh it is fda approved for smallpox treatments in in adults peds and neonates so does have some activity but we've never seen it in monkeypox and its duration is it's like this lipid formulation is pretty long acting so they basically get like one dose once weekly for two doses so because it's po and it's got this like pro-drug mechanism it's presumably better tolerated than cytofavir which is like an advantage but because it's lipid formulated it can cause transaminitis so patients with hepatic issues may not be a good option um also accessibility to this drug is also a limiting factor many centers don't have this on hand and this drug at this time doesn't have an expanded access like the other three i listed but like the fda is working on it so possibly in the future all right nice so so, so there's a chance there's a chance <laughs> so hopefully a be- better data data than we did in covid um yeah so we talked about the pathophys the system onset vaccines and treatment so can we just like summarize everything we discussed today for the audience? Yeah. So right now we have another ID thing going on in the world and in the United States. We have this outbreak of monkeypox, which is a smallpox cousin that's in non-endemic countries. It's um, it is not a sexually transmitted infection, no matter what the news tells you. This like smallpox is transmitted through infected bodily fluids and prolonged skin-to-skin contact with lesions and respiratory droplets or through contaminated objects. The good news is the majority of monkeypox cases are mild to moderate and can be self-limiting, but severe presentations can happen, especially in patients with certain risk factors like being immunocompromised. In the United States, we have the Genius vaccine, which is a smallpox vaccine that has similar efficacy to... um, causing immunology against the monkeypox virus. But the issue is that it's in limited supply right now. Um, And so access may be an issue. In terms of treatment, there are no FDA-approved treatments right now, but there are several agents, including Tecavoramat, that were granted expanded access or compassionate use for monkeypox treatments. So we do have a way to prophylax patients and, and treat them when they have monkeypox. All right, so you're saying there's a chance. There's right. a chance. <laughs> Got to awesome. end on a positive note. Well, well, thank you, um, and thank you for clarifying all the misinformation, even on my end, and where, and I'm a manager. <laughs> so uh, thank you for clearing all that up. Um, again, guys, this is Theora, I'm a follower on Twitter. Uh, we'll have the show notes up for you guys. And again, my name is Oscar Santalo. So thank you guys for listening in, and I'll catch you guys later. Keep farming hard. Closes it. Ozzy scratches his head. Whatever she's looking for, it isn't in there.